1-2. Swing and a drive toward right center. Back goes Robert. Back near the stands. That ball is gone. A game-winning home run for Chris Burrell. Can you believe it? Listen to this crowd. Welcome back to the Brotherly Cubs podcast, a live edition with both brothers in the same room at the same time. We've got some interesting news. John and I are going to a Cubs game in Arlington, Texas, Cubs and Rangers, not opening day, but the second game of the season. So that's the biggest news basically that's happened over the last few weeks for the Cubs because they haven't signed any free agents. John, how are we feeling about this offseason? Pretty crappy. (laughs) Um, you know, we, we really want to sign someone soon. I think a lot of people are getting anxious and trying not to panic too much, but, um, hopefully in the next week or two, we'll start seeing some more dominoes fall after Yamamoto signs and, uh, maybe, you know, who knows, maybe we'll pick up a prized pitcher in the off season. So we'll see. I sure hope so. Um, our discussion today is pretty much we're on the bare bones of not having any news. So we just figured, hey, let's again break down some trade targets, some free agents that have been in the news, talk about the statistics. I really struggle with that word, um, even though I'm a math whiz. Or look at some stats and figure out walk rate, strikeout rate, you know, percentage better than league average. What are these guys out there? What do they look like? Are they lefty? Are they righty? What is the best options and what is still out there? What is the best remaining in terms of hitting for the Cubs? It'll be a little bit less about pitching. And I think we're going to dive right into our uh, discussion here on the Cubs' best free agent targets and trade targets as well. So the first name on here, which has gotten a lot of steam, is Reese Hoskins. His name is spelled R-H-Y-S. When I was younger, I thought it was just Rahice, <laughs> which sounds like very Game of Thrones-like. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Who knows? He might have had parents that were <laughs> huge Game of Thrones fans, and they, you know, just—I don't know—is that a novel? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was around by the time he got named. You think Reese would be spelled R-E-E-S-E, but it's spelled R-H-Y-S, so kind of a difficult. It looks like his—it's like they were spelling Rhino and then change it to Reese. Uh, he's unique. He's unique in the fact of his name spelling. But he's also unique in the fact that he has a 10% walk (laughs) (laughs) over the last, uh, that was what, 2022? Yeah, these numbers for the audience are all their most recent year of data from Frangraphs, which is now my new favorite. I was using Baseball Reference, but we're a Fangraphs family here. We're using this data. And yeah, this was 2022 for Hoskins, his numbers. And... The caveat with Hoskins right now, there's a few things to mention about him as a target, mm-hmm. is that, one, these are his most recent numbers from 2022. He's tore his ACL in March last year, so about nine months ago, right before the season started. And he is also a Scott Boris client, which means uh, he's got an agent that demands that the teams give them more money. Even if the free agent may be comfortable with the deal at hand, he doesn't let guys get extensions with their team. He lets them go to free agency, and he demands a lot more money from that team. And so it's possible that that might be holding up Reese Hoskins' deal right now. And it's uh, been rumored out there that he wants a one- or two-year deal. 
obviously he wants more than one year deal. He may be stuck on that second year, or if he wants a third year, it doesn't seem like there's been a lot of demand right now for Reese Hoskins. Yeah, so I mean, if you look at his stats there, 30 home runs, you know, 794 OPS, uh, rivaling somewhere close to Jorge Soler. Um, maybe not quite 30 home runs for Jorge Soler. I'm not sure where he... He's sitting above 30 home runs. Is okay. His issue is more like strikeout rate. Okay. So either way, you got to like how consistent he's been over the last uh, four, four years or so, four or five years, 25 homers plus. He's got some pop, which the Cubs need. So hopefully they are able to beat out the Mariners. Evidently, that's their competition for Reese. Hoskins or Rehas, but he is Hoskins. Yeah, <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully they can come to an agreement soon. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I'm targeting like a two-year, thirty million dollar deal, if not one year for twenty, just to get the deal over the finish line. We were talking earlier offline about which prospect prospects might be blocked if we get any of these free agents, and uh, one guy. That. Yeah, one guy might be Matt Mervis who sort of struggled at the big league level last year, but he was essentially the the leader in home runs for the minor leagues in 2022. His 2023 numbers below Matt Mervis at first base, those are pretty solid given that he only had 360 at-bats in the minors. And so he did get about close to 100 at-bats in the majors. And so that's kind of something you'd like to look into in terms of this guy would be, if he's on the big league team, he'd be making 700K, the big league minimum. And there's been, there was a little bit of helium for Mervis as a prospect to grow and everyone was excited for the next first base, you know, slugger to come back on the team since Rizzo left. So that's something that's enticing to think about for Mervis. Mervis is also a lefty. The Cubs need lefties. So... Hoskins would theoretically be playing first base if the Cubs grab him, or he could play DH and Mervis could still get there. But the idea is that the Cubs could potentially, you know, block some of their prospects that might not be good. I'm only really thinking third base is where he can block a guy like Matt Shaw. Still not a lot of data on him. Good data so far. A very enticing, very exciting player. And he hasn't played a lot of third yet, but he's very athletic. He used to play short at University of Maryland. So he can move probably around the diamond a little bit. Like for him to play third in the future, but still need 2024 to evaluate him and see if he's ready to be brought up to the big leagues. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, potentially the rumored twins package. They're looking to move either one or both of Max Kepler and Jorge Polanco. Yeah, he has a 21% strikeout rate, 9% walk, which is incredible. Again, over 800 OPS, 24 homers. So he's got the power. He's a lefty, right, if I'm not mistaken. Max Kepler is a lefty, and I'm thinking, I mean, he would block PCA if he was playing center. Mm -hmm. However, I think he plays more of the corner outfield. Obviously, he would be doing that. Either A, they would try and move him to first, or B, they'd have him DH, which I think that's fine to have a guy with that low of a strikeout rate. If you looked at PCA had a very small sample in the big leagues, but I think he had close to a 30% strikeout rate in the minors. That data is a little bit trickier to find. I can't remember if it's baseball savant or if it's somewhere else, 
Unfortunately, the minor league baseball database doesn't easily give you that data. You have to grab it and do a formula. <laughs> you have to sit there and figure out. I don't think it's super difficult. You can grab strikeout rates and total strikeouts and divide by plate appearances and get your strikeout rate. But Kepler would be a lot better contact hitter. I, he's proven he's hit at the major major league level. With PCA, obviously, we, we want to be patient with him. Sam Olber of Lockdown Cubs has mentioned that this as well, that he's got tremendous defensive value, and his hitting, I think, will eventually come along. I think with Kepler, at least you know what you're getting, and um, he, like you said, he could DH. Mm -hmm. So, um, And he could play a little bit of center. So if PCA is not quite ready, at least he slots in as a center fielder along with maybe Talkman to lock it in for 2024. I really like the idea of Mike Talkman getting some opportunities again since he, he did so well. He had a leadoff, and the Cubs have had times had trouble finding a leadoff hitter. I think eventually PCA will be a leadoff hitter. He's batted leadoff at every level he's been to. At AAA, he batted seventh for a chunk of time before he got comfortable. And then he he batted leadoff again for AAA down the road. He still needs more seasoning there. I think for the Cubs, he was batting in the bottom half. The Cubs have also liked to use speedy, uh, contact-oriented bats like Madrigal on the nine spot as sort of like a second leadoff guy. I don't necessarily know if PCA would start there, but I'm willing to bet his first normal taste of the big leagues will be the bottom of the lineup. However, you can incorporate a lineup with PCA in center. And the way I've been thinking about this offseason is it's kind of like in basketball, you have a starting five, mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter who starts. It matters who's going to get the most minutes and who's going to finish the game. Who's going to be there for you down the stretch. Now, just because the scubs, the scubs, <laughs> maybe the scrubs, maybe Freudian they are slip. The scubs right now. <laughs> the Freudian slip of the scubs or the scrubs. Um, uh, Brett Taylor of Bleacher Nation sometimes called, calls them the cubes. Uh, <laughs> the cubes. <laughs> very cute. <laughs> um, the way I've been thinking about this offseason is that even though PCA isn't this known quantity hitting-wise, he has shown a lot of promise hitting, and he is a good defender. So what I think about it is down the stretch of the season, I am targeting PCA to be our center fielder, and if not leading off, being in the lineup every day, commanding that spot, commanding the respect he has as like a top 20, top 15 prospect. So I view PCA almost already as a left-handed bat in center field, even if he's not opening day ready. And so the Cubs need to build left-handed bats from there still and power. But we're talking Hap in left field as a switch hitter, Talkman or PCA in center. And then if Mervis isn't, you know, Mervis is a possibility if there's depth or if there's depth needed, there's injuries. I could see Mervis taking over and getting some opportunities because he's shown that he's dang near ready. I mean, he looked really good at AAA. Yeah. He looked, struggled a lot in the big leagues. And that's another left-handed bat with power. But there are other left-handed bats out there that the Cubs could take a swing on, and even if it's on a shorter-term deal. I think another issue for him is base running, which he, again, he can work on. He has sure, PCA. Yeah, yeah, PCA, talking about PCA. Um, he has plenty of time, obviously. He's only got a small sample size at the major league level. Yeah. So he, that'll, that'll come. He's got plenty of speed. So I think, like you've said this many times, you know, he could easily stretch a single into a double and get into scoring position. Mm -hmm. um, so it just depends on um, how he's able to kind of harness that speed in the in the right moments and not, you know, get picked off or try to steal a base where 
it's not really the exact moment for him to steal a base. Yeah. And the biggest thing too for PCA is that when he does come up, he's going to be in a position where he has a manager who plays prospects and gets them to perform really well. Terang, I think, finished in the top three and the gold glove at second. So they gave him a lot of opportunities. Can't remember their center fielder the Brewers had. I think his last name was Taylor. I'm not not 100 percent sure. I know they had a couple of guys that could steal bases. Their prospects are coming up right now, the Brewers. And Craig Council has been known to get a lot out of a little. And the way you do that is with playing prospects, you develop the farm, and you have a manager who's going to be able to facilitate those prospects growth, play them, trust in them, get that emotional IQ up there. You know, not only just telling them great job, but giving them good learning moments in which those players are able to thrive. And what Rossi did last year, unfortunately, was sort of the cards he was given was like, all right, here's, let's say, Nelson Velasquez, here's Alexander Canario, here's PCA. And he used them sparingly, and I think their confidence maybe either got shot or they just didn't get the consistent reps, as any human needs reps to get comfortable. If you get reps and then you're cold... Now, I, I do think PCA showed a lot of overzealousness and sort of overaggressiveness on the bases, as you might see from like Javi Baez. Mm-hmm. He's quoted him and he's actually traded for him by the Mets. Interestingly enough, he said he was one of his favorite players. Um, you can draw the parallel there with speed and defense, but you're right. I think he needs to harness that ability in order to have that war to get to sort of create runs or sort of to be aggressive on the base pass to be valuable. He's got to make sure he doesn't get, get caught stealing. Right. But I think he had 24 stolen bases last year, if not 30. So he does have a lot of speed and he has shown the ability to do it. He just needs to practice getting that timing down in the big leagues. Right. Um, let's take a look at some of these names um, that we had mentioned in trade talks or possible free agents. So Brandon Bell, what do you think about him? So Brandon Bell, is a power hitter. Um, he's played first base for the Giants. The scariest thing about his numbers is a 34% strikeout rate. Yeah. That's higher than even uh, Morel last year. Mm-hmm. And so the 15% walk rate is actually really good. It's, it looks like it's the highest number of all the targets that we have. I don't know what Bellinger's walk rate was, even though he, I mean, he played with us last year, but where we don't have his, his name listed here, but the walk rate's enticing. If you can get the strikeout rate down, I'm not super sold in on the fact that that number's so high, except I do like that he had almost 20 home runs and a 138 WRC+, plus, which is a number that shows how much better you are over league average. Overall, it's like a hitting statistic. So Brian Belt is 38% better than league average last year. That's really, really good. And if you could get that on a one- or two-year deal, I'm not sure you'd be blocking anyone, especially if he was DHing. Right. Um, what about Chapman? What are your thoughts on Chapman? Obviously, we do have Matt Shaw at third base, possibly BJ Murray. So, is there a chance for him to sign maybe a short-term deal, or do you think that's what's kind of holding up the possible contract negotiations? Do you think he might want a longer deal? I think the issue is that he may want a longer deal. He's another Boris client. That's the theme of this show. Bellinger's a Boris client. Bellinger's a lefty bat that can play they could play first, play center. Mm-hmm. And he's an all-around player, defense hitting. With Chapman, he's a good defender. And he has had numbers in the past that were good. And he was theoretically a star with the Oakland A's. And he had a good year with the Blue Jays. 
However, the last few years, he's been under 800 OPS on base plus slugging. That's the number we love to use. He had 17 homers last year. Right. So is the theory behind not signing him the fact that you're getting tremendous defensive value, but not necessarily offensive value? I think the thought process is that he could return potentially to a 30 home run hitter, even though he has in the last couple of years. The defense is there. I'm not sure how valuable defense is at the corner. At third, it's it's good to have a good defender. The Cubs haven't had a consistent defender there. They could hit for a while. I think we're talking Chris Bryant, yeah. unfortunately. So we're talking 2021 and even then a full season, right. a full 162-game season. We're talking 2019. And who knows last time Chris Bryant was fully healthy. He was injured a lot. So it's something the Cubs have needed for a while, a, a healthy, good defender, good hitter at third. And in reality, if he wants a four-year deal, I don't think the Cubs should give it to him. Now, Chris Morrell would be who Matt Chapman would block at third, however, or Matt Shaw, obviously. But Chris Morrell is the closest to big with ready. Okay. However, there's not really a defensive position for him right now. Okay. And uh, Morrell was in the Winter League, and he played a few different positions. He played third base. He had a small sample size, I think maybe only in the 15 to 20 game range. Mm-hmm. He had like a 93% fielding rate, which is terrible. Um, so there's a lot to be concerned about with Morrell in terms of as a defender. That that might be, certainly if the Cubs were to sign Matt Chapman, for one, I'd be surprised. Another Boris Klein you'd be negotiating with. For two, you're blocking Matt Shaw. For three, then it would be imminent that, Matt, that um, Chris Morrell would be traded. And so if the Cubs had a Chris Morrell trade lined up, for let's say, I almost said Justin Bieber, I was this close. <laughs> for Shane Bieber and Classe, Emmanuel Classe or Josh Naylor, if the Cubs had Chris Morrell as a trade piece, and so they said, we're trading Chris Morrell, that's what we're doing, the deal's lined up, he's the main guy in there. Uh, if that was in there, then I could see signing Matt Chapman. I just don't want him on a four-year deal. I'd like him on a two- to three-year deal. Okay. And that would be nice because then you give Matt Shaw the opportunity to get to AAA next year, get to the big league team. We still don't know exactly what we have in him, but you don't want to sit there and completely block a prospect if you're not getting a star at third. I mean, if you're getting Machado or if you're getting, uh, let's say, Nolan Arenado or a shortstop that would convert to third, whatever you got, uh, then I could see then you know blocking Matt Shaw and trading him and then refilling the farm later. The Cubs are at a really interesting spot right now where there's enough prospects close to development to get to the big leagues. Mm-hmm that it's hard to want to block all these positions, especially with guys like Chad with the 750 OPS. I don't think that's some kind of superstar. I definitely don't think he deserves $25 million a year. Maybe he might get 15. I'd be fine to give him three for 45, kind of like what uh, Jaime uh, Candelario got with the Reds. (laughs) So let's take a look at, uh, you mentioned uh, Emmanuel Classe and Bieber, Shane Bieber, um, also a part of that possible deal. I mean, it'd be a mega deal, but, uh, you know, Naylor, what about, um, Josh Naylor? So this is kind of the trade that Cubs fans have been waiting for as a fallback from Tether glass. Now not landing with the Cubs, the most recent news on him. We forgot to mention Tether glass. Now was traded to the Dodgers. The deal was, pre- um, temporarily held up because he signed a five-year extension, which is very frustrating because they'll have Otani. They'll have glass now. Who knows what else they'll get. They have those guys for years to come. Very frustrating. So the backup plan that that has sort of leaked to the media and has been discussed on Cubs Twitter is Josh Naylor. 
his numbers are shockingly good in terms of those advanced metrics. I think even his K rate is in the 15 to 16% range for his career, which is really good. That's actually the best among the sample we have of the available hitters. So Naylor is not going to hit the, you know, cover off the ball in terms of home runs. And I don't know his exit velocity type numbers. I do know, like you said, he had a 300, 308 batting average. Right. The 7% walk rate is a little low, but because the strikeout rate's so low, he's really just putting the ball in play a lot. We talked about needing a clutch hitter. Cubs had, you know, Cody Bellinger and Jan Gomes last year. Can't depend on Jan Gomes. He's in his (laughs) middle to late 30s. And Josh Naylor is still pretty young. The 97 RBIs is also really enticing. Having another sort of, having two guys with over 90 RBIs, like Bellinger and Naylor in the lineup, that's pretty enticing to me. Um, yeah, like you said, you know, 825 OPS, 17 homers, 90, the 97 RBA is really kind of pop out. Obviously, it doesn't hit for a ton of power, but you, having 97 runs batted in is, it shows a lot of uh, clutch hitting. That's valuable, yeah. Uh, so, there's a lot of debate on Twitter right now, or X, or whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do, how much is something like this going to cost? A Naylor costs a Bieber trade. I would assume quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I think the Cubs would just get two. If they got three, that would be a massive haul. Right. And You'd probably have to give up, I would assume, whatever you're giving, whatever you're sending out, right? So possibly. I think you're giving them Ben Brown at the minimum. Ben Brown, maybe. Maybe a second pitcher. Or maybe a first baseman that you're getting back. So maybe a, a Matt Mervis. Would you sure. be comfortable with sending out Matt Mervis, Ben Brown, maybe Triantos? And... Yeah, I'm in so high in Triantos right now. He had a tremendous AFL. I think he had a 1,000 OPS, which is crazy. Small sample, but when guys pop like that in the AFL, teams will pay attention. Mm-hmm. And so even though Triantos isn't some kind of power hitter, yeah. He's a good contact bat, but I think I do believe the Guardians like contact bats, even though he can't defend super well. So it's kind of like, you know, maybe he's a project. Matt Mervis can defend well at first. He's almost plug and play. I mean, you can trade Naylor, you get Mervis back. He's going to have his whatever five or six years before arbitration, mm-hmm. uh, at least before he gets a big raise. And so Mervis, I think, could thrive with the Guardians. He's, they would still get a left-handed bat. It's like a left-handed bat for left-handed bat. Naylor's more proven for the Cubs. And Mervis has shown over 30 home run pop in the minors. So that's that's a really nice piece. I'm also interested to see if they need any outfielders, if they would take Alexander Canario, who also had over 30 home runs Mm -hmm. in 2022. He was injured at the end of 2022. And lo and behold, that was actually in winter ball, the same place where Morrell was training recently. So... Canario did not get a full season in, but he is a guy where there's redundancy in the outfield. You have a power hitter, but you've got PCA, you've got other outfielders to backfill for losing that spot. So you use your trade chips as, you know, the redundant pieces you have, Mm -hmm. or all the most value you have is in the outfielders, Casey, Alcantara, PCA. Send some of those guys away or send one of them away and get back a first baseman that you know is ready to play. And if you have to send Mervis too, fine. But the Cubs need to target hitting. And if they can get pitching from from uh, 
a trade and get both, that's a great deal. They definitely need a top-of-the-rotation type arm. I'm not sure if Beaver is going to be an ace anymore, but I think he'd be solid to lock him down, get him for a few years, and be able to solidify the top part of the rotation. Even if he's the number three, next year you can go out in the 2024 uh, to 2025. I guess it's called the 2025 offseason. Mm-hmm. It's much stronger. There's a lot of bigger fish out there. Yeah, I know Zach Wheeler is out there. Uh, I think Max Scherzer might be out there. But I know there's there's quite a few arms that are going to be available in the next offseason. So even though we see this offseason as having a lot of arms, next offseason we'll also have hitting too. So the Cubs could make a splash this offseason and then go back again in 20, the 2025 offseason and make another splash. Give me more, 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 more. Let's get rid of some of these prospects. Let's get big league talent in there. Right now, I can tell you, Matt Mervis, when he comes up, he's not going to have a 13% strikeout rate. Uh, Matt Mervis, though, did prove that he has prospect stock to trade away. He showed good strikeout numbers at the minors improved it as he went along in 2022 his tremendous defensive value he has good defensive value i think he'd draw some walks but his ability to show some of those skills at the minor leagues especially at the higher levels that's enticing and so i could see that along with a guy like ben brown who's got a killer curve you know i'm saying this and i'm like man i don't want to give up ben brown you don't want to give up any of these prospects because they could turn out to be especially pitching yeah they could turn out to be aces. I mean, the only person I'm probably, or people that I'm not touching is probably Cade Horton and maybe Owen Casey. Mm-hmm. And then after that, honestly, for me, Canario. Canario impressed me in the small sample size that he had last off, last season. So for me, that's me personally. But And then you'd be counting on Alcantara as a, you know. He could be a trade piece. I think for me, he could be a trade piece. But... Mm-hmm. That could be... You can only keep so many outfielders, too. Right. I mean, if you've got five good outfielders, you might be able to keep two or three of them. Yeah, because, I mean, you, you're pretty much set at the outfield position. Yeah. I mean, the corners are at least... For now, they're settled. You could still try and hang on to some of these guys as they inch their way along. Yeah. Protect them on the 40 band. Give them time in AAA. And then when Hap is gone, maybe someone else can take over. I don't know if Hap is necessarily the best outfielder that we have in the organization. If you look at the talent we have, he's solid defensively. I think he just needs to work on offensively. Yeah. I mean, he gets a lot of walks, but he's definitely not going to hit 30 home runs. I think he had one good season where he had 27 to 30, somewhere in there. Um, I know in the 2021, I know Ian Hap popped, I think it was the 2022 season, but it was like, we got rid of some pieces. We had traded. We fell off. We were playing low-leverage games. The Cubs put together a good second half, and half was part of that. But you're not going to sit here and say, that's my three-hitter, that's my leadoff hitter. I mean, it's tough to say what, what the future is with the in-half, but the future looks good in the outfield, for sure. On our next podcast, we're going to take a look at the 2025 offseason. We're going to take a look at some possible pitching, pitching options for the Cubs. One of them is, I believe, Roki Sasaki. And so he was rumored to be posted, but um, I believe he's not going to be posted this offseason. So he could also be a prized target for the Cubs in the offseason. So I'd love that dude on our team. He throws over 100. 102, yeah. And a splitter. Yeah. 
he'd be a tremendous get. And so maybe the fact that they're not in on Yamamoto, maybe they're looking at someone like Sasaki for next offseason. So again, this could be a you know a two year plan as far as competing for a championship, starting to compete for a championship. So true that. With that, this has been the Brotherly Cubs podcast. And we will see you next time. Hopefully we have some interesting news to share on our next pod. Thanks, everybody. Merry Christmas.